My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to be with us this morning. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 9, and we'll be there for a bit. And then we're going to take a bit of a tour of the Gospels and uh, the last book in the Old Testament. So we'll be in five sequential books of the Scripture today. So if you've got a whole copy of the Bible, you'll need that as well. Um, but feel free to also use your Scripture journal, uh, and it might be helpful to have a handout for a couple of minutes of today's lesson. Uh, you can find the handout at OurSundaySchool.com, uh, as well as all the other resources for our class. I'm regularly asked if you'd like to be a member of Our Sunday School, how does that process work? And it's really simple. Uh, you go to OurSundaySchool.com, click on the About Us tab, and there's a lesson there that I would like for you to watch. And in that lesson, we explain uh, all about Our Sunday School, what the membership expectations are, what uh, the membership benefits are. And then if you'd like to commit to those, uh, just let me know. And uh, poof, you're a member, just like that. So I uh, would love to have you join us in this effort, and we appreciate those of you that have been very, very faithful uh, joining us since we've been in uh, uh, this mandatory this, uh, this distancing uh, phase because of the coronavirus. So, so we've got your Bibles. We're in Mark chapter 9, and uh, we're going to ask our question that we ask each week, what is God doing in you through His Word from the portion of Mark that we've studied so far? Um, I'll share some of mine as we teach the lesson today, but uh, I'll take just a moment to uh, greet you. So we've got uh, the Flemings are here on the couch. The uh, the Arnolds, uh, the Velosens, the Greggs, hey, good morning in North Carolina. Uh, the Barbers, the six Barbers are here. <clears throat> I'm interested in, in your interpretation there, Dave. Uh, I thought there were only four Barbers left, that there were some Harpers involved, but that's okay. We'll, we're rounding, I guess. Uh, the Johnsons, uh, the Janikas, good morning, guys. And the Archers have eight. So, fantastic. Uh, would love to know which eight. So, if you'd let me know that, I'd love to greet you individually. It'd be great. So, we've got your Bible in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. This is my fancy Bible. It has two bookmarks, and I flipped to the wrong one and panicked for a second because uh, that was not where I wanted to be. So... Uh, Mark chapter 9. Now this is the same handout as we've had the last three weeks and uh, unless the Lord returns before the end of this lesson is over or something happens to me, uh, I commit to you that we will have a new handout for next week uh, in a new section of the text. We'll likely start with verse 14 of Mark chapter 9 and move on from there. That handout should be ready sometime tomorrow on our sundayschool.com uh, but it's not up there today. So Mark chapter 9. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say 
for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me, 
who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. <laughs> so, uh, Kristen... <clears throat> I told Julie, while we were waiting on the lesson to start, that you would comment on Dave's error, and you did. <laughs> All right, so Gilchrist are in uh, Johnson City. Hey, good morning. 56. Yeah, that's, that's cold. <clears throat> that's me in a jacket. <laughs> 56, so. But uh, it's great to have you guys here this morning. Um, official correction. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, it's all about Augie. So I was just going to talk to Augie. So there we go. So this morning, we're going to uh, try to finish up this section, uh, Mark uh, 9, verses 2 through 13. Uh, we spent three weeks in this section so far. Uh, there's a lot going on here. And there's a lot going on here that ties Old Testament to New Testament and early parts of the New Testament to the middle parts of the gospel to the later parts of the New Testament to future prophecy. And I'm not going to get into the future prophecy part today. We'll, we'll save that for a couple of chapters into Mark. Um, but I do want to start tying together some of the Old Testament prophecies and what Jesus is talking about here and what he talks about in other Gospels as well. So if we look at uh, verses uh, 11 through 13 this morning. <clears throat> so verse 11, and uh, they asked him, so this is uh, Peter, James, and John. And just to draw a distinction here, uh, when I was a little boy, I, I got the Johns of the New Testament all jumbled up. And in my head, I had this idea that John was the busiest guy in the New Testament because he was John the Baptist and then he got killed and somehow he was still around and still he, he wrote letters afterward. And it, I didn't have it square away in my head that there was more than one John in the New Testament. So the John that's mentioned here in verse 11 is not John the Baptist. We will talk about John the Baptist today, but verse 11 is uh, John, uh, a separate John. So uh, verse 11, and they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah, uh, that first Elijah come? So question, where did Jesus get his disciples? Jesus got his disciples from uh, the lake from the shore, from the tax collectors, from all over the place. But where he didn't get them from were the rabbinical training schools. Jesus' disciples were not the cream of the intellectual crop who were studying to become rabbis themselves. They were, they were not on the rabbinical path. Uh, in this time, there would have been a very formal process that you'd have gone through years and years and years of training to be able to be come at one day, at around the age of 30, a rabbi. And uh, his disciples were not on this path, which implies a few things about their 
Old Testament knowledge. If you're on the rabbinical path, one of the steps in that process would have been to memorize massive portions, if not the entire Old Testament. And um, the, the disciples here have a question about something that the scribes are saying. Now, the scribes are the folks who, who wrote down the, the Old Testament. They made copies and made copies and made copies and made copies. And, and many times they would actually teach as well, just because they were so familiar with the Scripture themselves. So the scribes are saying what, uh, that Elijah must come first, and the disciples are asking Jesus, why do they say that? So in verse 12, Jesus begins to explain this to them. And, and Mark is a, remember, Mark is not heavy on detail. So we're going to visit some other Gospels this morning to kind of see this fleshed out in some other spots. But in verse 12, Jesus says, uh, and he said, and this is an imperfect indicative. So imperfect is repeatedly occurring in the past. Indicative is a statement of fact from the perspective of the, of the speaker. So this is something Jesus said repeatedly to the disciples. This was not just a one-time thing. He said this uh, multiple times. And from his perspective, he viewed it as a fact. And I, I love the, the Greek language because we get to see when Jesus uses an indicative, we get to see what he believes about a thing. And from, from my perspective as a teacher, I am constantly looking in God's word to find out what does God believe about this situation, about this scenario, about these uh, sequence of events. And we get to see what Jesus believes right here. So Jesus says to them, uh, Elijah does come first to restore or reconstitute all things. And how is it written? So he's asking a question here. It's, it's an awkward uh, English sentence because it's, I have trouble as a reader of God's word. I have trouble reading this so that it sounds like a sentence. So, and how is it written of the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? So it's written, so this is the perfect passive. This is completed action with the results continuing. How is it written of the Son of Man, that Jesus is talking about himself, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? So we'll, we'll pause on Jesus' response. We'll go back to what the disciples asked him. The disciples asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah has to come first? And who does Jesus talk about? He talks about himself. And you might be thinking, well, that's kind of arrogant. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Because the reason Elijah comes first is because Elijah is announcing, he is bringing forth, he is getting ready for the Messiah. This is part of the, the revealing, the unveiling of the Messiah. So Jesus is getting to the point of Elijah's return, not just the fact of Elijah's return. So don't miss what Jesus is doing here. He's trying to get his disciples really clear on this sequence of events. Uh, and then in verse 13, verse 13, then he begins to actually answer their question. So, but, uh, but I tell you, so the disciples are saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And now Jesus says, but I tell you, so get ready, that Elijah has come. And you're thinking, where did I miss that in chapters 1 through 9 of Mark so far? <laughs> right? I didn't read a lot about Elijah. Well, you might have, actually. We'll get to that. So Elijah has come. This is a perfect active indicative. So this is a completed action with the results continuing. So Elijah has come. This is a, this is a fact, and it's indicative. From the perspective of the, of the speaker, from Jesus' perspective, this is a fact. He is not mincing words. He's not being unclear. Elijah has come. 
So one of the beautiful things about the Bible is that we can start to then build one fact upon another fact upon another fact and upon another fact and get a really good picture of what Jesus is actually talking about here. So Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. So that's that's the rest of Mark chapter 9. But my question is, why did the disciples ask about Elijah and not about Moses? Why didn't they focus on like, hey, Moses wrote the law. We could ask questions about Moses. Well, Elijah has this major role in prophecy. Jesus is explaining this. So my next question is, where did Elijah show up? Did we miss it? Are we that poor Bible readers? Or was it not exactly as we might have thought it would have been when it came to pass? So let's talk about Elijah for a second. <clears throat> uh, Albert, it's a great question. Would the disciples have had a copy of the Old Testament? Not like we do. Um, the, so the, they, the concept of putting all of God's Word in one bound volume would have just been earth-shatteringly uh, incredible for them. Uh, so they didn't have like a copy of the Old Testament. They had scrolls. Um, if you remember in the New Testament, there's a couple of times we see pictures of someone in the synagogue and they would take the scroll from the portion of uh, Isaiah per se and they would read a certain section. So they would have parts of uh, uh, the Old Testament it would have been very unlikely that very many synagogues would have had an entire copy of the Old Testament. It was incredibly expensive to do, but certainly not something that the disciples themselves would have had. These would have been far too valuable just to be carrying around in all the journeys that Jesus went to. Uh, they did have the Word with them, but not necessarily the written Word with them. Caleb even rolled his eyes at that one, so there's that. Uh, all right, so let's get back to... Um, Elijah. So Elijah's story happens in 1st and 2nd Kings, and there's just gobs and gobs and gobs about Elijah in 1st and 2nd Kings. I'm not going to go and retell all of that. What I want to go to is I want to go to the part about the prophecy about Elijah returning. So if you know your Old Testament, uh, Elijah's story happens uh, uh, several thousand years from now, but uh, several hundred years before the time of Jesus Christ. And there's a prophecy in the book of Malachi. So if you've got your Bible, your whole Bible, I would encourage you to find uh, Matthew's Gospel. This is always my cheat when I was a kid. Somebody said, turn to Malachi. Well, I'm going to Matthew, and then I'm going to go left. So find Matthew's Gospel, and then go left one page. Now, Malachi's uh, prophecy is, uh, we think, uh, among the very last uh, prophetic words that the Holy Spirit gave to any of the Old Testament prophets that's recorded in Scripture. Uh, Malachi wrote somewhere between 430 and 450 B.C., and Mark's gospel happens, it, it's written down somewhere in the 50s A.D. So there's about 500 years, and we think Mark's gospel is actually among the earliest of the New Testament writings. So we have in Mark 9, 13, a reference to, from the earliest New Testament writing to the oldest Old Testament writing. Or, I'm sorry, from the newest New Testament writing to the newest Old Testament writing. There we go. And uh, in Malachi chapter 4 is where Elijah shows up. And not just at the beginning of chapter 4, at the very end of chapter 4. So in the, in the last paragraph 
of the last chapter of the last book of the last word that God gave to his people, that prophecy about Elijah shows up. Okay, so here we go. So verse 5. This is Malachi 4, 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And I'm not going to go into all of what the great and awesome day of the Lord is. You can read back through the beginning parts of Malachi for that. Verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. Period. Awesome sound effect. That's the end of the Old Testament. So the end of the Old Testament is this reference to utter destruction. But right before that, Elijah shows up. So if you were a Jew that knew anything at all about the Bible, you would know the very last words that God gave to his people through the prophet Malachi. You would know this. So the fact that Peter, James, and John are asking Jesus, why do the scribes say that Elijah has to come first? Gives you a little bit of a glimpse into their theological background and training and their familiarity with the Old Testament. Now, <clears throat> lest we leave them in this quandary, if you fast forward to the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts, we won't go there today, you can read the sermon that Peter preaches at Pentecost and you can see his understanding of how the Old Testament looks forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It's unbelievable. He got this incredible education at the feet of Jesus in the Old Testament. So the great thing we see here is that Jesus didn't leave them uneducated. He takes a lot of opportunity to train and educate and inform his disciples as to how he fits into all of Old Testament history and prophecy, as well as the current age that we are now in. <clears throat> so with that, that's where, that's kind of where we are with Malachi. Um, let's go back to Mark for just a second, though, because I want <clears throat> to, excuse me, I want to show you something here. So Mark chapter, actually, let's go to Luke. We'll go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We'll look at verses uh, 5 through 17. So this would have been 30-ish years um, before the conversation in Mark chapter 9. And this is the, the, the ESD entitles this section, The Birth of John the Baptist Foretold. <clears throat> So in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. I'm going to pause right here. That's not normal. 
This was not something that he would have been expecting that day. So back to verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. <laughs> the Greek's a little bit stronger than we get in our English here. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must, he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Pay attention. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What does that sound like? Sounds an awful lot like Malachi chapter 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Right? So we get this foreshadowing, this kind of a, like, whoa, I'm familiar with that. And, and Zechariah, being a priest, would have been familiar with this Old Testament prophecy, unless he was the worst priest ever. And that's not what the Bible says. It says he and his wife Elizabeth were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. It's going to be hard to walk blamelessly in all the statutes of the Lord and ignore an entire prophet. So I think we can safely assume that he's going to be very familiar with this particular prophecy. This would have been all kinds of alarm bells going off in his head around what's going on here. So Luke tells us that John the Baptist, that's who we're talking about here, is walking, is uh, he's going to go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And you're kind of like, well, okay. Was there anything else in the Gospels about? Yes, there is. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> I guess you could find Matthew by going to Malachi and turning right. Stop throwing shade on Malachi, right? So Matthew chapter 11. We'll read verses 1 through 15. So when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison, so this is the time where John's in prison before Herod has him killed. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So much richness in this question, but we'll keep going. Verse 4, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is telling John's disciples about all these Old Testament prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled. Jesus is telling them, yes, I am the Christ. Verse 7, and they went away. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Something flimsy, something not firm or substantive. What, did, what did, then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. 
What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Pause. Let's go back to Malachi for just a second. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Jesus is quoting Malachi. Let's go back to Matthew 11, verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Remember who we saw in the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the, Elijah representing the prophets. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is about to drop a bomb on them right here. He is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, this was an incredibly bold statement from Jesus. By saying John the Baptist is Elijah, he's saying the one who Elijah, the one who John prophesies about, points to, is the Messiah. Jesus is telling them, I'm the Messiah. Now, we don't get that clear an explanation in Mark's gospel, but we do in Luke, we do in Matthew. So let's look at one more thing. Let's go over to Mark chapter 9. At the end of verse 13, <clears throat> at the end of verse, let's read verse 13. But I tell you that Elijah has come, so now we know this is John the Baptist, and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. They did to him whatever they pleased. What did they do to him? Remember back in chapter 6? Chapter 6, starting in verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work at him. But others said, he is Elijah. <laughs> Everybody was looking for Elijah. Because Elijah was the trigger point for the next thing that was going to happen. Even the people around Herod were looking for Elijah. And others said, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. He thought Jesus was John. <laughs> Everybody's getting everybody mixed up here. It's amazing. Verse 17, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. And yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. She came in immediately with haste to the king and said, Asked, saying, I want you at once to give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, 
He did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Mark nine thirteen. But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased. Whatever they pleased. Whatever they wanted to do. Whatever there was choice. This was their choice to go and to do this thing to John the Baptist. As it is written of him. That word pleased shows up a lot in Mark chapter 6. And it's the idea that it's, I've got the definition there on the bottom of page 279 on your handout. But it's the idea of the thing that you choose or prefer to do, the thing that you wish or you're inclined to. It's actually sometimes used in a glad sense. What, what makes you happy? It made him happy. See, it, it made Herod's wife, Herodias, happy to kill John the Baptist. Because it was her choice. It was within her power to do that. And what they didn't understand, they literally didn't understand. Mark spells it out for us in the verses right after 614. They didn't understand who they were dealing with. They didn't understand that they were fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. They didn't understand that God was working all things for good. They didn't understand that God was weaving all of these stories into a beautiful tapestry that declares Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Messiah, that this is the one who was prophesied, that Jesus is the Christ, that all things point to him, either forward from the Old Testament or backward from the New Testament. It's all about him. And in this text, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus begins to connect all these dots for the disciples, helping them to understand who John was, who Elijah was, who Moses was, who Jesus was in comparison to Elijah and John and Moses, who Jesus was in comparison to the disciples, and how he was going to engage the world. There is a tremendous amount going on in Mark chapter 9. It is far more than Jesus went up on a mountain and had shiny clothes for a little bit. <laughs> so with that, let's move into our application and personalization. And hopefully you've just kind of been uh, finding some of these as we've been going. I'm not going to go back and, and recap everything that we have studied uh, so far. I'll just make a couple of points as we go through. <clears throat> um, so uh, we'll start with number one, application number one. Uh, Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. Let's just make sure we're super clear on that, right? Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. So what do we do with that? Well, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. Uh, in, in, an, in one sense, they represent the Old Testament in its entirety. So uh, application, uh, the personalization here could be uh, we worship the God of the Bible not the Bible, right? I, I, don't, I don't wake up in the morning and thank the Bible for giving me breath. I don't wake up in the morning and uh, ask the Bible to give me... Uh, God, this is God's word, and we should treat it differently than we do other books with reverence and 
hopefulness. Uh, but but this is this these physical pages are not things that we worship because the Jews had gotten into this horrible mindset of uh, that the the law itself was more important than a relationship with the God of the law. So let's not mix this up. Uh, another uh, application here, when Peter starts to speak before he knows what to do because he's terrified, um, uh, and, and one application here might be um, fear should not drive our mouths. So how do, what do we, like, what do we do with that? Well, it's, it's okay to be quiet when we're scared. We have a God that we can go to when we're scared, not a God that we dictate to when we're scared. Right? And there are plenty of opportunities to be scared in the world. There's lots of things to be scared about. Um, I had a really bad asthma attack a couple of nights ago, and it, it panicked me pretty good. Like It was, it was not a lot of fun. Uh, but at the same time, that's not an opportunity for me then to go dictating terms to God in the middle of that moment just because I'm scared. That's not a, that's not a wise use of of my tongue that he gave. Uh, another <clears throat> application here uh, is that the father loves the son. The father loves the son. Uh, and for us, the personalization is that God set this beautiful example for us. So we should love the son. Absolutely. Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the shiny orb in the sky. We should love the son. And then an application for this last little section here, 9 through uh, 13. <clears throat> this one's tougher. Because i gotta, I got to take you to one more spot. Let's go to, I told you I was going to go to all four Gospels today, right? I left this one out. John 1, 19 through 23. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He knew this much. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they asked him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John said he wasn't Elijah. John didn't know what Jesus knew. John didn't know how Jesus was using him. Moses and Elijah didn't know how God was going to use them either. I've been wearing this shirt for four weeks. Uh, you only live once. LOL, JK, be right back, Jesus. And this is true for uh, most of us. You only live once. But God is the sovereign king of the universe. And God can do whatever he wills with whomever he wills. And we as his children are his to dictate and govern and rule and love. And if he chooses to use us in ways that we don't understand or use us in ways that are not normal, that is his to decide. So application number four is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Our personalization in that 
is that we worship the sovereign. We praise the sovereign. We are grateful that we can be loved by the sovereign. We are grateful that the sovereign includes us in his plan for the world. He's an amazing God, and I hope you know him. So with that, we finish <laughs> verses 1 through 13. So I'm excited to move to verse 14 and beyond next week. Uh, we do have a couple of things just as announcements real quick uh, that if you are interested in subscribing to our podcast, our YouTube channel, or our weekly email, uh, you can do so at OurSundaySchool.com. Just go to the subscribe tab. Uh, if you're interested in becoming a member of Our Sunday School, go to the About Us tab and you can watch a video there about uh, what the membership expectations and benefits are for Our Sunday School. And then as we finish, I would encourage you to go to uh, the comments, put in any uh, prayer requests that you might have, pray over those prayer requests, pray for somebody that's not with us, and then uh, gather with us uh, later this morning, either in person at one of our campuses or online, uh, to worship the one who is sovereign, the one who moves the pieces on his universal chessboard around as he wills for his purpose, for his glory, for his great name, not for us. So with that, I love you guys. Can't wait to see you soon. And uh, grace and peace. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.